Dispatch Boys. Overlooking Phoenix. From high above in the Star Worldwide Network Studios. Badge Boys. Stories, insight, guests, and true blue humor with retired police sergeant Darren Birch and retired police officer Jason Schechterly. And now, here they are, the Badge Boys. Welcome back to another edition of the Badge Boys, a show where two cops talk to the community. I'm retired Crime Stopper Sergeant Darren Birch. I'm retired Phoenix Police Officer Jason Checkerly. And brother, we have a really powerful show and sadly timely. Uh, we're talking about, uh, it was just shortly the anniversary of the Boulder, Colorado uh, mass shooting, mm-hmm. 10 people killed. Uh, but like we said, there's such bravery and inspiration from tragedy and they had the right person to lean on uh our next guest uh stephen uh, redfern uh deputy chief at the time i want to say it was aurora i could be wrong but we'll check with him uh but he he reached out uh he was able to assist them in a lot of ways having dealt with a mass shooting and we'll talk to him after this video from the police chief of boulder immediately after the event The first thing I want to say is I want to say our hearts of this community go out to the victims of this horrific incident. We know of uh, 10 fatalities uh, at the scene, including one of our Boulder PD officers by the name of Eric Talley, who's been on the Boulder Police Department since 2010. He's served in numerous roles supporting the Boulder Police Department and the community of Boulder. And I have to tell you, the heroic action of this officer when he responded to this scene. At 1430 hours, the Boulder Police Department began receiving phone calls of shots fired in the area and a phone call about a possible person with a patrol rifle. Officer Talley responded to the scene, was the first on the scene, and he was fatally shot. I also want to commend the heroic actions of the officers responding not only from Boulder PD, but from across the county and other parts of this region. Police officers' actions fell nothing short of being heroic. I also want to thank the men and women who responded, including state local and federal authorities. Obviously, this is a very complex investigation that will take no less than five days to complete. And again, my heart goes out to the victims of this incident. And I'm grateful for the police officers that responded. And I am so sorry about the loss of Officer tally and again we will be here working night and day we have one suspect in custody I want to reassure the community that they are safe and that we will try to do our best over the next few hours to identify the victims and we'll be working with the coroner's office to do that as promptly as possible because I know there are people out there waiting for an answer and I am very sympathetic to that and we will work around the clock to get this accomplished (laughs) I can't imagine that chief you could hear in her words uh, when she's talking about her fallen colleague um, Eric um, Talley 
and and we I can't wait to talk about him because I saw some things about him. We did a we segment. We spoke about him. Yes. Yes. On our show before his death. The ducklings. Yes. It was a sweet just, inspirational story. But unbelievable how that came back full good, circle. Good cop. I mean he yeah. really, he was first on scene. Uh he was again, I can't wait to talk to uh Deputy Chief uh, Stephen Redfern, uh, he spent twenty, almost 23 years with the Aurora, Colorado Police Department, and he saw his fair share of horrors and tragedies. And again, the right place, being the right person in the right place to help out uh, as a sergeant. Uh, now he is the president of the Colorado Fallen Hero Foundation, and he is uh, currently the deputy chief of the Boulder Police Department. So without further ado, I want to welcome uh, Chief. Welcome to Badge Boys. Thanks very much. I'm happy to be here. Um, again, you know, some of us are just thrown into um, uh, in such peril. You know, you look at um, in history, uh, the right person being in the right place at the right time. And I think about that with you in your career. Um, if you don't mind, I would like to kind of talk about your time as a sergeant with the Aurora Colorado Police Department in terms of the theater shooting. Could you kind of fill us in a little bit on that? Absolutely. So for whatever reason, Colorado seems to have um, a lot of mass shootings and um, we always scratch our heads trying to figure out why that is. And um, unfortunately I've been involved in a couple of them. And uh, one of them was in 2012. At the time it was the largest mass shooting in U.S. history with the, uh, the theater shooting on July 20th of 2012 at the uh, Century 16 movie theater in Aurora, Colorado. Um, we had approximately 58 people that were shot. Um, it was actually 70, but unfortunately 12 victims uh, that uh, were deceased. The interesting thing at the time that we saw with our incident is a non-traditional police response um, overall. The suspect was taken into custody very quickly. We had our first officer there within about a minute, um, encountered the gunman and took him into custody quickly. And then literally our roles as cops turned into being lifesavers because uh, the amount of people that were shot at that time overwhelmed any of our EMS services. And so we took about 26 people to the hospital in police cars. Um, we were told later by the doctors, everyone who could have survived that we transported in our cars did. And so wow. at the time it was just, uh, I'm still very proud to talk about the exceptional bravery of those men and women um, with limited first aid training, we were able to save a lot of lives at that time. Uh, at that theater. Um, it was an interesting event in and of itself because the suspects survived. And then we had a, a long trial. And so there was all of those things um, that really changed the agency. And uh, we learned a lot from it. I'm glad you mentioned the uh, the trial because in the, the Colorado, uh, excuse me, Boulder um, mass shooting, that st has not been adjudicated. So we won't be asking you questions in regards to the investigation and so forth, obviously. But I, I, it's interesting because in the tease, I kind of mentioned we have police codes for everything. I mean, we have a police code for a fallen plane. We have police code for sniper. We, in Arizona, it's 246 and 246 Charlie for a confirmed sniper. We have codes for all these things. Adultery, bigamy. We don't have a, a mass shooting code. And sadly, I think in the national consciousness, they're starting to blur because we've had so many uh and i'm not going to ask you to you know account for that obviously because we can't all we can do is react as as police officers and so it gets to the question of how did boulder 
um, contact you regarding this in 2021 uh, at the, and I keep calling it a shopping center. Correct me if it's just a shopping store, but I, I picture it as like a strip mall shopping center. It was in a strip mall, but the, the shooting itself was contained to the parking lot and the uh, in, inside of a, a large uh, King Supers grocery store. Um, so to give you some background, so I was a division chief uh, of operations at the Aurora Police Department at the time um, that this occurred. Uh, also the president of the Colorado Fallen Hero Foundation, which is a nonprofit. Uh, we've been around since about 2017. And our, our main goal and focus is we have an amazing team from around the state and we do line of duty death response. Um, we respond, we, replen- we plan the memorial for the fallen officer. We, have a, we use instant command system and have an amazing team. And then we, being a nonprofit, have money where we can assist the family uh, up to and including going to police week the following year, especially for smaller agencies that may not have uh, a budget or a union that can pay for those things. So um, I knew a lot of the chiefs uh, in the metro area from doing training on fallen officers and preparedness. Uh, but specifically, I knew the chief uh, at the Colorado University Police Department, who is a partner we work here in Boulder with side by side. She called me in that afternoon as we were starting to hear that an officer might have been one of the people that were shot, uh, you know, you're always waiting and trying to get information and praying that it's not what you hear, what you're hearing. And uh, Chief Joker uh, texted me and said, "You need to come to Boulder. We need your, we need your help." Um, to me, I knew that that meant that likely there was uh, an officer that was killed. And while I was heading up here, she confirmed that for me, not publicly at the time, but uh, advised that there was an officer that was killed. But also she said, just can you just come up here to help because I know you have experience with responding to and recovering from a mass shooting. And so I drove to Boulder uh, and my team and I got plugged in right away. We spent the entire week here uh, planning Officer Tally's memorial service and um, ended up being able to handle that entire thing for the police department. Uh, fast forward uh, you know, nine months or so, I ended up... Uh, actually becoming the deputy chief here in Boulder. And so um, it was just an interesting turn of events. And I, I now work alongside uh, many of those heroes who responded to the grocery store that day. And uh, it's not lost upon me, the, you know, the gravity of that I wear the same badge that Eric Talley wore. And uh, I take that very seriously and every day try to try to earn the right to wear that um, because I know uh, what cost it comes with for uh, things like uh, this incident. Yeah, I love the idea that they reached out to you, you know, and that's what you are, brotherhood, sisterhood, it's a family. And sadly, there's those like yourself that are very good at dealing with these tragedies. I can't help but uh, compare and contrast in regards to the two mass shootings um, in a lot of different ways. Uh, but some there's some similarities. What I noticed with the Boulder, uh, you know, the SWAT influence, you saw the, you know, what we call SWAT in, in different places have different acronyms, but for the, uh, uh, the, you know, the proactive unit that is armed and prepared for these, um, you know, fluid, um, lethal scenarios. Um, and the fire department was, you know, was helping out in Boulder. I saw some footage of the of a um, the fire truck being there. It just seemed like they had a lot of resources that were there. And I couldn't help but notice the chief talking about that. And and then sadly, Brooklyn, you know, just not that long ago, um, the mass shooting there in regards to the resources. Can you talk a little bit about those resources and how important they are having that? Even when, like you said, you weren't trained in necessarily with, with paramedics, but it's doing the right thing at the right time and, and keeping 
your head about you. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. And, and you know, there, the big difference in these two uh, mass shootings when we're talking about Aurora and then Boulder, um, the impact on first responders with Boulder was, was to me different because uh, Officer Talley was killed upon entering that grocery store. Um, but the work continues. And as you saw in some of those pictures and videos, um, these officers had to, you know, acknowledge that Eric was down, not knowing his condition and keep working um, to take the suspect into custody. Uh, but overall, the resources are huge. And what we encourage every time is, you know, if you're a smaller department or a large department, get that mutual aid going early uh, and often. And the big thing is training ahead of time. If you don't train with your fire department and EMS on mass casualty incidents, whether it's a shooting, whether it's a, a disaster, you know, we've, we've been having crazy fires here in Colorado. Um, all of that training ahead of time will pay off in the long run. And one thing after Aurora that, that we recommended especially is to keep the, the training realistic. You know, tabletops are great. They have their purpose, but you have to train for these officers and supervisors in a realistic fashion. Um, in Aurora, when we went into that movie theater, we had a very loud action movie playing, fire alarms going off, just absolute chaos. We couldn't hear. And that's the kind of things we need to think about in training is to amp up that stress for our, our personnel, including fire and EMS. So when it happens in real life, it's still you're still never going to be truly prepared mentally for it, but you can... You, you can go in there knowing, okay, you know what, I, this is not new to me. I've experienced this in training. Um, and then we, you know, better do our jobs. We, I, we're past the, the day and age of, if we don't talk about it, it won't happen. Uh, I think we realize that in our communities, no matter where we are, unfortunately, uh, it's, it's something we, we have to live with. Yeah, <clears throat> it can truly happen anywhere. And we've seen that small departments, large departments, no doubt about it. And I like your, your statement regarding training, keeping it real. Uh, there's that, that saying, you know, practice like you play, um, because it, it, it gets real, real fast. Um, when you think about Eric, and you didn't know him, and now you're working side by side, those who did, have you almost come to kind of know him based on vicariously through them? Can you talk a little bit about that? Because he really was an exceptional police officer. Uh, like Jason talked about, he was on, we talked about him on our show with the duckling story, which was just a beautiful story. Um, yeah. And again, it goes to his heart. Can you talk a little bit about what you found to be the person, uh, Officer Tally? Absolutely. So, Obviously, uh, I didn't know Eric. I knew several people that worked in Boulder. Um, but during our work with the week of planning memorial, we got to know a lot about Eric. We got to know Eric's family. We got to learn about his faith. Um, Eric, uh, his children were a huge, the huge priority in his life. Um, but I, I really got to learn more about him. And, and, you know, this happens every time we go to do a memorial service for a fallen officer. Um, it's just super impactful when we learn more about the person behind the badge. Uh, but then working here, I've gotten, especially with the anniversary being a month ago, um, our department went and, and took a made a video only for internal use, taking clips of body cam, showing Eric doing fun things and being, um, you know, just candid. And, and in that regard, I kind of feel like I've gotten to know Eric really well. And, and you know, the, the sad reality is it's like in a lot of these cases, I'm like, man, I, I wish I, I wish I got the opportunity to work with this guy or know this guy. Um, it's just when you. When, you, when I got here in September of 2020, um, it was very clear how much Eric meant to this police department. And it's still that the impact of, of his death, especially in the way that it happened in the heroic um, way he laid his life down for this community. Uh, we still hear it and hear from the community every day. It's felt in this department every day. And I, I don't really know if that's ever going to change. And that's, I mean, that speaks volumes to the man that he was 
Um, and really just uh, this department will never be the same. And, and that's the sad reality. And, you know, our community members ask us, how can we support, keep supporting you? And it's just, don't, don't let, don't let Eric's sacrifice go in vain. You know, next time you may be hesitant to, to jump on the bandwagon of, uh, you know, criticizing the police or anything, anything like that. Give us a little bit of grace because, you know, remember that any of us would have done the same that Eric did. And, and that was to run in there and, and stop the violence. And, of note in this case, without getting into a lot of details, um, the one thing that is very clear is that from the time Eric entered that store uh, to the time the suspect was taken into custody, no other lives were lost. Um, there were more shots fired, but nobody else was harmed. And those officers uh, have my utmost respect. It was it was one of the most heroic uh, things I've ever witnessed. I'm glad you mentioned the part about community because even when it was occurring, and again, it was you know clearly national headlines, if not world. I couldn't help but notice the outpouring of support. And I know that's common with a, uh, a tragedy like this. You see the best in people you do uh, as far as the community. But I also saw it with the uh, newspapers and so forth and, and the, the, them wanting to comment about the, those that were killed and not focusing so much on, on the monster who behind the gun. Um, and I just, I couldn't help but think that this was not that far removed from, like you were talking about, some of the negative uh, media. Um, but there was a lot of really good positive media on Eric. Um, that's when I realized, oh, my God, this is the same guy who we did that story with the duckling. So if you do have pictures, please send them, because I could not find any pictures of Eric wading through the water, saving these ducklings and herding them like sheep into the other police officers. But can you speak a little bit to that um, I guess I would call it Boulder Strong, that community, because it really is, it, it seems exceptional to me. So you're right. In 2021, we were still dealing with a lot of the fallout from, from 2020, um, protests, all of those things, um, as well as COVID. And so it was just this weird time. And, um, you know, we had in Colorado, we had um, Boulder in March of, of 2021. And then Several months later, not that long after, uh, Officer Gordon Beasley was killed in the city of Arvada, which is not far from here. Both are cities with relatively low crime, not a lot of violence. And so both of those incidents just really took the communities by, by surprise. And um, we saw the best of the best. And I, I'll tell you, today we still have people weekly, if not daily, dropping things off at the police department for our officers. This is a very small, tight-knit community. And we still see that outpouring of support. Um, you know, we don't want it to take a, an officer laying their lives down in the line of duty for to get that support. I think the support was always there, but people really came out to show that. And, and for the officers that, you know, were there that day, with, were close with Eric, that community support is everything. And, and that that's really, I think, what a lot of, keeps a lot of us continuing to do what we do uh, is just that, you know, that um, – in public, the, the, hey, thanks for doing what you're doing um, type thing. And um, here we had the anniversary and we saw it again in, in two, a couple of weeks ago, a little under a month ago. And um, that community support is just incredible. And it really does drown out the uh, some of the noise and, and negative things. Um, you know, we all want to be held accountable. But we also really need to hear from our, our supporters in the community just to, to let these guys and gals know every day to go out there and would have done the exact same thing Eric did to save lives and, and make that sacrifice. That's, that's so huge. And we can't let that, um, we can't let that be drowned out by um, negativity. You know, I, I, I love everything you just said and it's so true and it hits home. Um, you know, having a, uh, 
a 30-year career. You've had a stellar career. But there was a big change when I came in an apartment in the 80s to what we see today in terms of a lot of negativity towards police officers. And then when you, we lose our own, um, I can't help but think about the PTSI or, or some refer to it as PTSD. Um, could you kind of weigh in on that in terms of what you saw in Aurora, what you saw in Boulder in terms of the rank and file and, you know, like you said, you have a, a, an officer down, but you have a job to do, you have lives to save, and and gosh, they just did a stellar job. Everyone, you know, from from the from communication to you know everyone involved. Can you talk a little bit about from the deputy chief's hat in terms of keeping keeping morale good, uh, the PTS aspect to our job. I'm glad you say PTS because I think a lot of a lot of us are working to drop the D from that because we understand that uh, in this job, you know, you, number one, you have a lot of cumulative stress and trauma over the years. But um, it being, I don't, I don't know if it's ever been more difficult to be a cop. Thank you. Um, it's uh, it's it's been, it's tough, and especially you know when you have a mass shooting. And I saw it in Aurora. I mean, we had officers in Aurora literally holding people's bodies together. Um, riding in a police car at 100 miles an hour while a, a, a victim that's shot is trying to jump out of the car because their loved ones are back at the theater. Um, those things, you know, we I think we are often expected to be um, almost robotic and not have emotion. And, you know, honestly, historically, we train that way. You know what? Don't show emotion. Don't be weak. You're a tough cop. And that's, you know, that's true. But at the same time, I think a lot of these things happening are making us realize that we are human and we need to take time for to make sure we're properly um, getting the services we need after these things. And <clears throat> I'm a huge advocate of peer support. I'm a huge advocate of psych services, EAP. And before my own experience in Aurora, I never was. I, I knew it was there. It was kind of that thing. We would just take care of things on our own or, or go out for beers after a bad call. But I, I don't think that really addresses the issue. And so um, we're still, still dealing with it here. And I'm a huge advocate here coming in to Boulder of, making sure our officers here are getting those services that they need. Um, but it's the, we have to understand that the, the, the heroics um, are not without um, – the, the things we do are not without consequence. And, um, you know, we owe it to our families. We owe it to our, our significant others, our family, and our community that, that we as agencies need to prioritize officer wellness, mental health services. Um, <clears throat> mass shootings aside, just the day-to-day -day cumulative trauma is tough, but uh, – if not, if we as agencies don't make it a priority, and I still know there's there's places in the country that uh, it is, it's a pat on the back and, hey, that was a tough call, suck it up and go on to the next call, and that's not going to end well. Um, and we've got to make sure it's a priority, and I'm, I'm very vocal about that because I've had my own experiences, and, and I still see people here hurting today, and it's it sucks because we know that, you know, it's a result of a bad guy that victimized society, and a lot of times we're, we're additional trauma that, you know, a lot of people may not understand and not even just the cops that responded that day, because there's a lot of men and women here that were close with Eric that weren't there that day. And I feel like they sometimes probably have an even more a difficult time because they weren't there. And it's just, you know, we're, we're never going to be there all the time. And uh, but again, bottom line, we've got to make it a priority. And uh, we don't we no longer have the luxury of not talking about it because it's we, know, we all know how that ends. Hey, Chief, this is Jason. Uh I love that last point you're bringing up. I mean, sitting here listening to you, all I can think about is if all the leadership across the country was 
like you, law enforcement would be in a lot better shape because as I travel around and I talk to cops, share my story and talk about the mental health and the PTS aspect of things, it's it's pretty clear that regardless of what you hear on the news, regardless of what you hear from politicians, we tend to do the most harm to ourselves. And that's going to come from leadership when you're dealing with an officer you know, in this day and age that has one, two years on and goes through a, a critical incident, there can be a quite a divide between somebody with two years on and somebody who's got 20, 25, 30 years on. So wh- how are you able to maintain with everything you've seen, along with rising up through the ranks, you, you're maintaining that belief in using the resources, getting help, and understanding that you don't just do the pat on the back, you don't just go to the next call, and you don't leave your boots on the ground out there just dangling in the wind as a leader. And you you just seem to have it with such a a quiet, humble confidence, and it's, it's incredible to listen to. It's rare. And Inspiring. I, I, hate, I hate to say that. It's it's truly rare in our profession. So how how, how do you maintain that, and how can we get everybody across the country to gather around this cause first of all i appreciate that and I, you know this half the time this job of being a leader in this profession is uh is throwing things against the wall to see what sticks <laughs> especially when it comes to leading yeah. leading troops in difficult times and but <clears throat> the thing i've really I've, i had some really good leaders early on as i promoted that so don't forget where he came from and um i had the privilege in my career to, to be in a lot of um, a lot of awesome assignments that also involved a lot of trauma um, you know, and along the way, I, we all can do this. Anybody that's got any amount of time in this profession or any public safety can name our brothers and sisters that took their own lives or drank themselves to death or, or you know, whatever the case may be. And, and I, I've I really tried and I, I'm not always good at it, but to, to try to not be that guy that sits up in an office and, and Monday morning quarterbacks. And, you know, when I came here, I, I focused on going out and doing ride alongs with these officers here in Boulder to learn how they did things and. Um, you know, you hear it and just a lot of supervisors are good at it and, and some don't, but you've got to, you have to be present. And when you're, even if you're just standing in the back of a briefing, you're going to hear what's going on in your agency. You're going to hear where people might be struggling. And and for me, it's just a matter of unfortunately going through things, you know, personal experience, being in a, in an officer ball shooting, going to, you know, a mass shooting and just working in a city where we had our fair share of, 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 of incidents. Um, but I also have, I have utilized services. I have friends, um, I have good friends. We, on our board of Fallen, Fallen Hero Foundation, we have a police psychologist and it's, when I started, you didn't talk about it. And then we've gotten to see firsthand what happens. And so um, I will, and I'm, I'm vocal about it with all my peers. And, and when, when we talk about line of duty death with chiefs and sheriffs in Colorado, they hear the same thing for me is you've got to make sure you take care of yourself and take care of your people because, um, we don't have to look far at all to see examples of what happens if we don't. And so it's just something I, I, I take very seriously because we've all been had those bosses who don't care about or don't, even, don't seem to care about our well-being. And, um, you know, that's when people leave your agency. If they don't feel that they're cared for, if they don't feel you have, have their backs, they're gone. And so it's kind of the big picture of, of in my opinion, what, what I need to be doing as a boss. Um, but it's, it's not <laughs> by no means it's, is it easy, but it's, uh, it's really focusing on the human side of things, especially 
um, once the dust settles on some of these major incidents. Yeah, I absolutely echo everything that Jason said about you, sir. Uh, it's, it's re, it is refreshing. And, and uh, when I was in my shooting, my sergeant never even came to my shooting scene. I mean, and that's just, you know, it's appalling. It's hard to believe when you, you look back at it. But I think we are getting better because uh, we are debriefing better and we're talking more. And I, I just see a lot of upside to police work now. And thank heavens, because you right now you guys are in, I agree with you, the worst that we've ever seen. The, in the last question I have, for you chief look as a chief as a leader looking at the aurora shooting looking at the boulder shooting what would you tell if there's one lesson to be learned from leadership in terms of whether it's training whether it's debriefing whether it's personnel what would you give as a tip what you've seen uh, collectively so on any of these calls number one i will tell you you got to prepare you have to train repeatedly and often you have to keep up with national standards because we're always changing our response system to active shooters, um, you know, working with the fire department, all those things you have to train. But you, when you are rushing into one of those situations, you are never going to be quite ready. And that's, you have to acknowledge that. And you have to, you have to, in that moment, you know, take a big gulp and, and realize, you know, this is, this is what, um, this is what I'm expected to do. And you just go do it afterwards. When the dust settles, it's the time to, to, to really be able to take that um, step back and look at, look at what happened, look at your own well-being, and then and figure out what you need to do to get to a good place. Um, but really, you know, and I said this after the Aurora Theater shooting, um, if I, I, I've always wanted to be a cop. I wanted to be a cop since, since I, as long as I can remember. And, you know, if there was one, if I only got to be a cop for one night and that was the night and we know we got to save a lot of people, then, then I would have been good. Um, and that's what we have to think about is um, why, why else would we be doing this job? I mean, it's to prevent harm. And if we can't prevent it, it's to, uh, to be able to, to quickly arrest the suspect, help these victims. And the one thing we have to understand is, you know, I, at that, the time in Aurora, it was the largest mass shooting in U.S. history. I never pulled my gun. And that was kind of weird for me. It was like, you know, the next day I, uh, I looked at what we did and most of those officers there only – did first aid and, and, and things like that. And sometimes that's hard for us to, to take because it's not traditional police uh, responses. So if you think, you know, any of these mass shootings are going to be a traditional police response, um, you got to get that out of your head because we've got to be adaptive. We've got to be ready to do things that we may not uh, have trained to do. Um, and then you got to look at each one of these, you know, study the debrief, Orlando, Vegas, all of those things. I learned things and, and um, you know, and you can see themes in some of these these things as well and study the, unfortunately study the, the, the shooter to figure out what, you know, what might motivate these folks. What could we have as law enforcement done ahead of time, potentially to, to recognize some of the signs. So there's, there's so much that goes into it, but really um, the biggest thing, especially from bosses that I, the advice I give is take care of your folks and watch for changes in behavior. Um, it's going to be a long road. And unfortunately that's, that's the, that's what upsets me every time I see one of these, because I know what that department's about to go through. And it's, it's long-term. It's not going to be over in a week or a year. I love that's the perfect way to end this show. Take care of your folks. I love that, Chief. I would work for you any day of the week. <laughs> Amen. Uh, <laughs> Amen. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much. And again, seriously, thank you for your dedicated service. Thank you for everything you do and for joining us on Badge Boys. My pleasure. More stories, inside guests, and true blue humor coming up on Badge Boys. We'll be back right after this. If you like the Badge Boys, you'll love their books. 
starting with Burning Shield, the Jason Schechterly story, which Arizona Diamondbacks president Derek Hall proclaimed, Jason is an inspiration and his story must be read and shared. The professionally written novel is a powerful biography chronicling Jason's gut-wrenching battle to health after being trapped in a fireball that consumed his police car and his high-stakes legal showdown against the Ford Motor Company for their explodingly lethal Crown Victoria police cruisers. Then there's Darren's award-winning Twisted But True book trilogy with close to 100 compelling and funny true crime stories that American detectives with Lieutenant Joe Kenda producer called the perfect blend of humor, heroism, and honor. And retired Colonel Dave Grossman declared, Darren's Twisted But True books are hilarious, deep, and powerful. Each book in the series received the Pinnacle Award for the best true crime book, and a story from book two was featured on an ID Channel television show. And Robin's most recent book, Soul Stirrings, reviewed as an often humorous and spiritually uplifting story of a widow's soul-searching pilgrimage to the afterlife. Darren called it a love story, a ghost story, an investigative story. It's a story like no other. And Robin's first book, Victim No More, where she shares her harrowing experiences with rape and domestic violence as Robin takes the reader on a very personal journey through the morass of abuse and loss, and ultimately, survival. These Badge Boy books should be on everybody's top 10 reading list. You're listening to Badge Boys with retired police sergeant Darren Birch and retired police officer Jason Schechterly. Now, back to the Badge Boys. Jason, I absolutely love that segment for so many reasons. For many reasons I knew. One is how timely. My God, Brooklyn just occurred. The, uh, and that was a mass shooting. I mean, he shot like 30 some odd times. Um, Sacramento uh, right before that. Uh, thank you. It, it, yeah. yeah. And, and and that's why in the tease, I didn't I, I don't know if I brought this up during the TV portion of the of the of the interview, but I made a reference that we don't even have a radio code for um, you know, mass shooting and it's happening way too often. And it's not not based on us, but based on a a, a division, uh, based on behavioral health, mental health issues, based on a lot of things. Um and then too many, we can only react to it, you know, and, and we're, we are reacting just valiantly. But the, uh, the one thing that really struck me was what a good guy this guy, guy is. I mean, yeah, yeah, he's a good I, chief. He's a good leader. He's all those things. But in his heart of heart, the last parting words, if you had anything to tell, you know, your, your comrades in arms, your other chiefs, what would you say? Take care of your folks. No, he's just a good person he's a good human being he's obviously a great cop and i'm very thankful he's in the leadership position thank you i mean that that was a stellar stellar interview and i hope everybody listening gets something out of it whether you are a first responder or as you rise through the ranks this is the model of how you need to lead that's the entire point of leadership leadership is not about just hammering people, just getting people in trouble, just telling them what they're doing wrong. It's about making sure they are well-equipped, well-trained, repeatedly trained on these types of incidents. And when one occurs, move from there with the the foresight of realizing, all right, each one of you is going to have to deal with something now. So let's take care of it. And he's got it. Like he has the entire picture right in front of him, crystal clear. Yeah, he's, and you he, just don't hear that very often these days. He's he's the the whole package, yeah. as you would say, the whole yeah. package. One thing that we we talked with him um, 
when the uh, you know behind the scenes if you will yeah. after we closed the uh, tv portion of it and i kind of shared with him uh he made a comment about be prepared for the unexpected it's not what you're going to expect and i shared with him about my shooting you know I, and like to your point you were talking about how you know we, we're trained and we go into training mode and many times we don't even know how many some of the things we did because it, it came second nature um you know muscle memory if you will and the one thing i realized is i wasn't prepared for my bad guy not to go down you know after i was shooting him he didn't go yeah. down and I, I went into oh my god mode um so i really liked his attitude with this not just you know be a good guy and, and care about your troops it's also about the right training mm -hmm. and realistic training and concurrent training and and you know being prepared for the unexpected because you might as well realize right now there will it won't go according to training you know so you need to you know have those realistic trainings and also scream music you know or whatever yeah. and change things up so yeah like i said the the full package great chief great um sergeant head and can you imagine I can't. I spent 30 years as a cop, and I've seen some bad things. You know, I was in, you yeah. know, shot at three times. Yeah. I can't imagine being in two of the biggest mass shootings, mass murders, mm -hmm. you know, dealing with Aurora with the, uh, and I won't say the, the the killer's name, but again, he survived. He turned mm -hmm. himself in. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's why very few of the officers had guns out. They were just literally acting as medics. And I shouldn't say only, but they're act. They went into medic mode, and he talked about that. And then to be in, you know, some. Um, oh my gosh, I'm trying to think of it. The, the amount of years later, uh, you know, the, you know, good amount of years later, and, and now he's helping out with the Boulder, Colorado. Granted, he wasn't in it, but he was part of it. Sure. Yeah, uh, without well, all and, those cities are so closely connected. The communities are, you know, he, he mentioned that not long after that Arvada police officer was yes. killed. And it, it even though it's a different title of a different agency, they're they're all pretty close knit and and wrapped around each other. And yeah, he's they've been deeply affected yes. more so than thank you. A lot of places. It's yeah, it's, it's I, I mean, crazy. when you think of, you know, crazy, kinda stupid crazy. suspects, you think of Florida, when you think of these mass shootings, you think of Colorado now, because uh, a lot of them have been happening. Yeah, they do. Wow. They, but you're you also right when you talk about like, what happened in Sacramento, what happened in Brooklyn, uh, on the subway. And we are unfortunately becoming immune to it like when we hear about it yeah and they're blurring together they, That's they a shame. are they are running together and i mean i was talking to a good friend of mine who's a wonderful public speaker was a victim at columbine wow. and that was 1997 yeah and that i still to this day when i hear school mass shooting what's the word we always think of the Columbine. Columbine. Right. It's like the one that started it all and you still think about it. So that is proof that yeah, everything does get blurred together. Well, I wasn't there and you take for granted because the news, you can only hear about it or read about it so much and then it moves on to the next story. Yes. And another news you cycle. Don't, you don't realize like the people in Brooklyn, for example, I think twenty nine people are injured, thirteen people were shot, and thankfully nobody's dead, but I even hate I mean I this is going to sound weird. I know, I, I know where I, you're I, going. I get, yes, thankfully, no lives were lost. But. But I hate the word thankfully because for the people who were shot, what they're dealing with, you don't know their injuries. You don't know who's paralyzed. You don't know who's got a traumatic you. brain injury. Thank you. You don't know who has to have fingers and toes amputated. And you don't know the PTS that is going to come with just the fact that they were there, the sounds from 
forever. A loud bang is going to startle them and scare them, and they're going to have to deal with it. And we, again, we do. We just move on oh, past good. them. Yes. And now the next mass shooting that will probably, unfortunately, be within the next week or two. That, right. I mean, that's how sad this right. is. And then we think about those victims, and you have the news reporting it the way they do, and then you have politicians with their hollow bullshit Twitter responses, and then their their arguments about the laws that need to be in place. No, the laws are in place. It's that we have all these people have been. It, it, these are not good, upstanding citizens no. who have lived great lives, and one day just said, "You know what? I think I'll do today." Instead of going to the grocery store, or instead of taking my dog for a walk, I'm going to go try and kill a bunch of people. That doesn't happen. It's people who have been arrested over and over and over. And we have laws in place, but we have people, mostly politicians, who do not care about current and future victims, which is the more scary part. They care about the criminals right now. And it is... We are so 180, so in the twilight zone, such absurdity. It's hard to even put in, into the right words how to talk about that because then you see the pictures and it's – let's not talk about the suspect, but God forbid what if the suspect was white. Then it would be racism and then it would be this, that, and the other. But if the suspect is of a dif different ethnicity – then you right away, the politicians and the media ignores that part of it. They ignore the, the arrest record. It's still a human being who has not brought any good to society. They only bring harm. So why are we not preventing them from doing it again instead of it's almost it went from allowing these people to do what they're doing. It seems we live in a world right now where we are encouraging bad behavior because it's not getting punished agenda driven my, my take on it is that everyone's politicizing everything mm -hmm. and when the politicians see one of these mass shootings first thing they think of is what guns right you oh, know the, the left on the left the first thing they yeah, want to say is the gun got right, out of bed exactly. and said, you know what let's go and you know i'm just gonna weigh in really shortly and then i want to tag into the victims of this and i have a nice ending for this uh this podcast we're going to talk about the victims of um, Boulder and it's a good way to end it but what I found is that with all the revolving door um, with I hate to use the word reform because you have to always use air quotes because it doesn't mean reform um, bail reform they're getting out all these criminals are getting out so quickly um, we had an inspirational where we talked about a guy who's arrested 20 times in 10 years and finally uh, they gave him a million dollar bail after what did he do he rammed a sergeant's patrol car twice overturning it trying to leave him for dead right. and then trying to make mayhem and if we did a better job with with jail and putting people in jail that were violent then we'd also have we do have a medical facilities in these jails and we can tap into the behavioral mental health issue because some of these people should not be walking around they are a ticking time bomb and we've seen that with these mass shootings too these people that are just they 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 absolutely were a ticking time bomb waiting to happen and with social media able to say hey what's wrong with this guy we should be better at being able to flag these so i see twofold one is better behavioral mental health issues mm -hmm. and having people stay in jail that are violent and not having a revolving door. Um, and then the last thing I want to touch on 
that the chief said and it was beautiful he talked about you know why we did what we did i always think about you with your question why did you sign on the dotted line why did you raise your hand why did you want to be a cop and it was to you know not just arrest bad guys it was to protect and save people and so this is the perfect way to end this segment of our cop talk for you the uh the podcast listeners we're going to listen to uh, the boulder chief of police talk about the victims and list their names and she does it with such solemn and such reverence it's a perfect way to end this segment and we'll see you back uh after that on our looney laws heroic headlines and jason's always inspirational closing message we'll be right back i'm going to read the names of the deceased denny strong 20 years old nevin stadinsky 23 ricky odds 25 Trelona Barkanovic, 49. Suzanne Fountain, 59. Terry Liker, 51. Officer Eric Talley, 51. Kevin Mahoney, 61. Lynn Murray, 62. Jody Waters, 65. Our hearts go out to all the victims killed during this senseless act of violence. We are committed with state, local, and federal authorities for a thorough investigation, and we'll bring justice to each of these families. More stories, inside guests, and true blue humor coming up on Batch Boys. We'll be back right after this. During these challenging days, we not only need to remember our many fallen heroes for their ultimate sacrifice, but also honor them so their families know we've not forgotten. And that's what the Arizona Fallen Hero Memorial Riders Organization is all about. Each year, the nonprofit organizes three memorial rides among the beautiful backdrop of North, South, and Central Arizona, with the proceeds going to the 100 Club of Arizona. Learn more about these fun rides and how you can honor all of Arizona's fallen heroes at ArizonaFallenHeroesMemorialRiders.org. You're listening to Badge Boys with retired police sergeant Darren Birch and retired police officer Jason Schechterly. Now, back to the Badge Boys. Awesome segment with Chief Redfern. Uh, what a story, what a career he's had and the things he's been through. It's, it's, it's tragic, but I, love, I always see in love when our law enforcement officers elevate themselves versus letting situations and tragedies deter the direction of their career. So shout out to, to Chief for doing what he's doing and continue to serve the communities in the midst of these tragedies. So as always, Darren, yes, I guess you have to bring us down from I that do. incredible. What he did is really the heart of law enforcement, helping oh, police yeah. officers, oh, yeah. and especially in the worst time when you lose a police officer. Mm -hmm. And so you're going from the heart of our show. I'm going to take us to the bowels of our show. Literally. Literally, literally, truly, literally. And uh, what we're talking about is learning laws around the world. They're absolutely everywhere. And they may be based on some cultural difference. They may be based on uh, bizarre set of circumstances, but they're everywhere. And since they are all true, you need to know the loony laws around the world before you find yourself in some far off distant land and you've discovered that you've been cursing and having inappropriate sex acts in the United Arab of Emirates because you could get killed. It could be a death penalty. Swearing in the Muslim United Arab Emirates is against the law. You could be fined, jailed, or deported uh, based on Article 373 of the UAE P 
penal code. Quote, swearing disgraces the honor or the modesty of a person. And it's not just swearing and saying inappropriate words. It also includes indecent physical gestures, uh, text messages. There was a guy in Britain who yelled at a um, uh, used car salesman and used some foul language. He got three weeks in jail. So you got to be careful. Now, and again, it's not just the cursing. It's also inappropriate sex acts. And I worry for our comrades in arms that may be in UAE and having some type of sexual act. And so what I did, since I can't curse, I can't say the word, I can say sodomy, but you can't say it specifically. Mm -hmm. So I created a set of danger signs. So if you're traveling in a far off land, understand these danger signs. You cannot use the uh, purple emoji, as you see, it's an eggplant, into the peach, which is the buttocks, into death. You would get a death penalty in your United Arab Emirates. It's under Article 354. It is against law. Another sex act that's against law is oral sex. So again, using the purple eggplant, you can't do that in, in a girl's mouth because you, she would go to jail for like 14 years. So you can't Wait, the girl would go to jail? Yes. You, yes. The guy well, it's a macho, it's a macho land. It's a, in fact, the guy um, would get death if he had sodomy. But if he did sodomy with a woman, because it could be accidental, then she gets 14 years. Yeah, so it, again, it's very ambiguous. They're bizarre laws, but the last one of those is one I think that everyone everywhere should understand. The last one is, it is another oral type of danger, and that's when it's the, there you go, it's oral in the peach, and that's just gross. That's disgusting. That's wrong. No one should do that regardless of where you're at. First of all, how do they prove this? And second of all, all of our listeners are now not going to I, the UAE. I'm so glad you asked me that. What I've done for you is I've created these, these little cards. Uh, this one here lets you know that you can't do that. Yeah, so, right, so it's, this it's is a going great on card. My truck. Yeah, right, that way when you travel to UAE, uh, this is the one to give to you, uh, your wife, uh, make sure that she understands what you she can't do. You have 14 years. Uh, yeah, and then this one is for everywhere. You should not do this anywhere. It's just wrong, it's just so wrong. And that is, the loony oh my lord! And you're very welcome. It's a public service announcement. No you all see about what it. I have to deal with. This is I'm not. Well, I'm not going to the UAE. <laughs> and that is the loony laws. Darren, you are very bizarre, and I love <laughs> to transition into the heroic headline. And as oftentimes, this one hits close to home for me. Uh, but the old cliche of running into a fire is something to never be taken for granted. It, it, there's Nothing more scary, nothing more dangerous than actually running into the fire. And a deputy and a bystander saved a man from a burning vehicle in Port Charlotte, Florida. In Punta Gorda, Florida, during a heroic Saturday morning rescue, Charlotte County Sheriff's Deputy Garrett Parrish arrived at a serious traffic accident in Port Charlotte and observed a man trapped in a car fire. The driver from the single vehicle crash was on fire and trapped inside. The deputy said, quote, when I got out of the car, I can hear him yelling for me, hey, I'm on fire, I need help. The deputy continued, so I get over there, he's lodged in the car pretty good, his seatbelt was wrapped around his neck and his shoulder. Deputy Parrish, a three-year veteran of the sheriff's office, also received assistance from Deputy Bryant Vasquez and a bystander. Deputy Parrish used a pocket knife in one hand to cut the man's seatbelt and a fire extinguisher in the other hand to help keep the flames at bay. 
He was pulled out of the burning vehicle within just seconds. Despair as the car completely became engulfed in flames shortly after the driver was extricated. Deputy Parrish explained it was just one of those things. A few minutes, a couple of seconds, they made the difference. Like in his case, once I got him out of the car, within 15 or 20 seconds, that whole driver's seat where he was was basically charcoal. The man remains in critical condition. Deputy Parrish, Deputy Vasquez, and the bystander who all helped rescue the man were not injured. Deputy Parrish is being very modest about his heroic actions, saying if any other deputies showed up or members of FHP, I have no doubt that any of us that walked onto that scene would have done the same thing I did. I was just the first one there. And that is very true. We are all going to do the exact same thing. But when you're put in that position, you should definitely get recognized. And Deputy Parrish, you are our hero for the week. Congratulations. And I pray that the driver in critical condition will make a full, if not 50% recovery. At least he's alive. Thank you. So the inspirational close this week, a police officer with cancer received sheer solidarity in his recovery. Given the altruistic nature of police work and the traditional serve and protect motto, cops continue to come up with ways to give of themselves. For a fellow officer, officers with the Jamestown Police Department use their heads literally to show their support by becoming barbers. There are many reasons for not having hair on our head. It could be a personal preference, a fashion statement, genetics, hormonal changes, a medical condition, alopecia, grooming, just a part of getting everything in order. Another reason is chemotherapy. If you live in or visit Jamestown and you have the opportunity to see, meet, or talk to a Jamestown police officer, you may notice that many are currently having their heads shaved. That's because one of their own is currently fighting one of those battles that hopefully many of us will never experience, cancer. And although we may never truly understand what it is like to battle cancer, there's one thing that we should understand. We never have to fight alone. Several bouts of radiation treatments knocked out this officer significantly, knocked his hair out. The police family did everything imaginable to ensure that he was reminded of his self-worth. God's good graces appeared in the forms of blue attire pinned with tin. Moreover, the family was well taken care of, of course, as we all do, when they had zero chances of physical energy or mental clarity as they go through their sorrow and their grief. Even with all the perilous encounters as a cop, Cancer made me feel so vulnerable, the officer is quoted as saying. Realizing my police family was caring for my blood family echoed my career choice and whom I was relying on, on and off duty. Running out the clock due to several surgeries and cancer treatments was weighing on my soul. My accumulated time in the books to maintain my household economy dwindled down. A major predicament, exacerbating a larger one. I worried needlessly. Unbeknownst to me, the entire police force pitched a plan to donate vacation time to my bank, thus enabling my family to continue while I wrestled with my cancer impact. But I wasn't only 
it wasn't only cops, I would eventually come to learn that the fire department personnel, sanitation workers, public workers staff, elected officials, and members of several churches where I worked security on off-duty days all came together. The entire community came together to make it that much more bearable and survivable. As a policeman, I made many people who were suffering in silence feeling solo, isolated, in despair. For each of these hard-hit citizens, I was about listening, being there, investing time for many. Cops are always there with their elixir, their own elixir. There are calls that we have to deal with that are less policing and everything to do with humanity. Before my career journey robbed my life because of cancer, as a cop, one of my colleagues ran the same gambit of bleakness and uncertainty. Detective Anita Bridges was diagnosed with cancer. Late stage, the oncology team prescribed chemotherapy post-haste. Detective Bridges endured the entirety of her chemo regimen. Her fellow brother and sister cops observed the drastic changes inherent in our human bodies from the infused chemicals. Hair fallout was rather swift, accompanied by frailty and weakness. Taking turns, our PD's sworn and civilian personnel always made sure at least one police member was there to support and cater respite for her blood family. One day, when it was my opportunity to transport her from chemo to the cancer hospital, she quietly said something which I will never forget the proverbial picture pointing a thousand words. Locking energy, she slowly raised her hand to one of more gripping the wheelchair handles. She sort of feather touched the top of my hand, gently potted and scantily forged a smile, giving her whatever I could muster. That was the last gesture which I was on the receiving end. I just didn't know what that moment was. We get through another day. It's not always about getting through an entire day. Sometimes it's just about getting through the next hour. As she was prone to scare for the books, Detective Bridges succumbed to her cancer soon after. There's one thing about cops, especially when the situation appears bleak. They'll make you feel like you're holding all the aces. You're holding the hand that you need, that you've been dealt when you need it most. First responders respond first, sometimes without ever hitting the streets. That's an amazing story. People shaving their heads from the sanitation workers to the churches to the firefighters. I love how all jokes fall aside when we are in need of each other's help and the solidarity in our community. You focus on your own backyard, you take care of your own, and you leave the day better than you found it. God bless these officers and for all of you fighting cancer who we all know somebody. I lost my dad to cancer not that many years ago. It is a deadly, disgusting disease, and we're all going to be touched by it in some way or another. Thank you all. Be safe. God bless. We'll see you next week. Batch Boys.
Thanks for listening to Batch Boys. <laughs> Stories, insights, guests, and true blue humor with retired police sergeant Darren Birch and retired police officer Jason Schechterly. Batch Boys, heard weekly and worldwide on Star Worldwide Networks and all mobile devices. Badge Boys.